Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi and welcome to this episode of Your Wealth. I'm Gemma Dale, NAB Trades Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. Well, there's almost no topic that energises Australians and to be honest, a lot of other people around the world actually, like the subject of house prices. And even enthusiastic share investors have often found themselves with either a home as their most significant asset or wish they had a home that was their most significant asset. Today, I'm joined by NAB's Executive for Economics, Alan Oster our chief economist, to talk about the rather extraordinary resilience of the Australian housing market, what that means for the economy and what we can expect from here. Alan, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Gemma. So, Alan, there's so much to talk about and it's always everyone's favourite topic. Actually, we should probably start with your role. You're in a bank. We don't just talk about house prices for fun. It's a real issue for us. Can you talk about the data you have access to and why we look at it so closely? Well, obviously, we've got a lot of skin in the game in terms of mortgages. Um, In terms of looking at the economy, we look at every electronic transaction that occurs across any of our systems, which is about 5 million a day. We look at what's happening to um, business bank revenues. We look at the consumer's cash flow, in other words, dollars in, dollars out, and where are they getting the money from, which tells us how many NAB customers are being paid the dole. And then we also sort of try and look at things like our bad debts to get a, a feel for how the how the system's traveling. So, you know, we, we have at least as much information as anybody um, in terms of what's actually happening now. And all that data is available basically within a week of it actually happening. Yeah, it's so important to make that point. You know, we're not just pontificating here. It's no. it's, it's real and it's important for us and it's real important for our customers uh, and for the economy more broadly. And then the government takes that data and does something with it as well. That's right. They look at the data very carefully. We We sort of do a big general report every month. But we also do weekly reports that go to the governments and um, ABS, et cetera, and they use that to uh, – adjust some of their statistics, particularly when they publish and they get a better feel for, you know, how's the economy actually going as of now? Yeah, it's so interesting. So when we look at where we are now, we've seen interest rates increase 12 times in less than 18 yep. months, which is just eye-watering when you think about it. And mm-hmm. one of the most common predictions we heard it was sort of a universal truth, to be honest. You know, when when rates started to increase, the general assumption was that house prices had to fall, that yeah. they couldn't possibly stay high. To what extent has that actually happened so far? Well, what we're seeing at present, particularly in Sydney, but more generally across Australia, is we're actually seeing house prices start to go up roughly about 1% per month, which is pretty pretty incredible. I think there's two factors behind that. Number one, Migration is very strong, uh, and you see it particularly in apartments in Sydney where people come in and need to live. Um, And secondly, and this is the one the Reserve Bank doesn't like, is there's sort of been an expectation recently that RBA is nearly finished. And if that's the case, well, away you go and try and get in before, you know, you essentially get uh, more stability in the market. So those are the two factors that have been driving it. 
We're a bit worried. One of the things that you do need to be careful about is this is a recovery that looks a bit different to most recoveries in the past, and that is the amount of transactions that are going through um, real estate agents is down somewhere between 20 and 25%. So there's not a lot of new stock on the market, if I can put it that way. And so people are sort of being, they want a lot of money because there's not a lot out there where they've got to then go and live. Um, so I, I suppose what we're saying is we think the RBA, despite what they're saying, are close to finishing. Maybe they do another 50 basis points. Um, but uh, by next year, they'll probably be cutting. Um, so we're sort of thinking that maybe from now on, you might get increases in housing prices of, let's call it 5% over a 12-month period. But in the short run, there's that issue that if unemployment starts to go up and people have to then sell their houses, um, that might stop the current uh, run of increase in house prices. Yeah, it does feel quite extraordinary. And that does seem to be driving a lot of headlines as well. Everyone's so shocked by it. But then yep. the headlines drive it even more, perhaps. Well, the headlines sort of people say, well, you know, rates are nearly finished, We've got a lot of demand, there's not a lot of supply, um, and therefore we'll go and get our house now before it sort of gets cheaper to get a house, which will be next year when they're cutting rates. It's uh, it's quite extraordinary all round. Let's talk about what happened before now. You know, when rates fell so dramatically during COVID, and you've been around a little longer than I have, but I don't yep. think we ever thought we'd see 0.1 of a percent as a central bank rate in Australia. We were shocked enough when it happened overseas, and then even the previous decade when rates just kept falling and falling and falling to the kinds of numbers I would have been thrilled to pay when I first started, that's for sure. Yep. <laughs> you know, there was always this continuous upward pressure on house prices because people were factoring in the rate impact in their affordability. Was it yep. just about rates the whole time? Was there anything else driving that? I think it was mainly rates. Um, and what the, we were all, if you go back to COVID, we were all very scared that unemployment would be at least 12% or more. And that's sort of made us all worry about where house prices were going. Um, government policy was really strong. The Reserve Bank came in and said, right, well, we're going to keep rates essentially at zero forever. And therefore, a lot of people sort of went in to fix loans for two to three years. But it was the ability to essentially fund uh, a housing um, at a very cheap rate for a while and of course, the central bank governor didn't help by saying that he was going to not increase rates until 2024. Uh, but generally, the whole idea was now's a good time to sort of get the economy going and try and um, have some wealth effects through house prices as well. What are your thoughts on wealth effects? Sorry, it's a question without notice, but do you feel yeah. that the wealth effect does really drive, or actually probably can you explain what it is for those who are not familiar with the term and then whether it has been a big driver of consumption? Well, the wealth effect is if someone says your house is worth a hundred grand more than you thought it was, um, you'll probably spend at least ten thousand of it going out to celebrate and buying things. Um, and so it does have a direct effect, particularly you said in the effect on the car industry. But I think in terms of what's happening in consumption recently, as we come out of COVID, is people are catching up. So um for a while, you couldn't get anything in because of supply chain problems. And then you sort of reopened the economy and people decided that they really did want to um, go overseas and go to holidays and things like that. Um, and so that's been a big driver of consumption. 
But ultimately now, what we're seeing in our data is consumers are basically saying, well, hang on, I've got to pay 2000 a month extra in terms of financing that mortgage. And they're starting to cut back. And they're cutting back particularly in things like discretionary retail. So think of you don't need to buy another lounge, another computer, et cetera. We're seeing signs that they're also cutting back on private schools. And especially also we're seeing some sort of movement away from hospitality at present, but they're still going to travel agents. But when they get their ticket, if you like, in terms of flying somewhere, they don't necessarily spend as much. So there's sort of this moving away from things that you sort of don't desperately need to some things that you want. And also what we're seeing in some of the data is that people are essentially downgrading. So in layman's terms, they're buying mints rather than they're buying iFillet um, and, and you know, maybe buying uh, frozen food rather than fresh food. Um, and that's normally a, a runner or forerunner of problems um, because that's the behaviour you normally get running into a recession. And I think what we've got now is we're starting to see the impact of those increases in rates. And one thing you should be aware of that I'm sure a lot of people aren't aware, banks come out and say, we're going to pass whatever the reserve bank's on uh, and we're going to do it tomorrow. But actually, by the time you get the contract and you write them a letter and et cetera, the average consumer is three months behind what the reserve bank's already done. So even if they stopped now and didn't do any more, there'd be 75 points of tightening still to come. And if we're right that they're doing another 50 basis points before they finally do stop, there's one and a quarter percent still to come. So that sort of says to us that consumption, which is 55% of the economy, um, is probably not going to grow at all in the second half of this year. So if we will have a, a, a issue where it's going to, if it's not a recession, it'll certainly feel recessionary to a hell of a lot of people. All of those points are so interesting, and I find that cutting back component really interesting. Mm. Uh, I certainly know when we they were talking about uh, consumer spending and saying technically it hasn't declined, but when you look at the increase in population growth per person, it has fallen, and also when you factor in inflation, your prices are higher, so not buying more stuff. You are buying less stuff and less of it because yeah. of the impact of inflation. Are you seeing that broadly as well? Yeah, we are seeing that. Um, what we think will happen is not so much the consumer will fall over and go into bad debts. What we think will happen is the consumer will basically change their behaviour. And we're seeing signs of it now. So, you know, retail sales in real terms have probably gone sideways or backwards for the last six months, and we think it can keep going. So the main thing for us is, look, at present, the Reserve Bank is focused purely on inflation. When we're 12 months down the track from here, unemployment's probably uh, about 4.5%, which is 1% up, which might not sound a lot, but it's like 150,000 additional people on the dole. And then 5% by the end of next year is sort of like 240,000 additional people on the dole. So that sort of says at that stage, the Reserve Bank can be cutting rates. So as long as unemployment stays lowish, and I think it will, because that's one of our data points as well, it says that even as of last Saturday, the level of uh, NAB customers getting paid the dole was quite low. 
So you've got about 12 months to survive, basically. And I think the Australian consumer is probably going to survive, but it's going to feel nasty and you're going to be taking two jobs and you're going to be cutting back on what you don't think you need to spend. And so that does slow the economy down. And in economics, there's a term called the paradox of thrift, where everybody gets more thrifty and the economy sort of hits the skids as a result because there's not enough spending out there. We're talking at the moment to those people who have a mortgage, right? So you're that mm. proportion of the population who have a home loan to pay off and they are very much likely to be the people mm. who are also worried about things like school fees, I imagine, and so on. That's yep. that sort of middle belt of Australia in terms of age bracket. There's also young people who yeah. either don't or haven't had the opportunity to buy a home and then the enormous cohort of older people who own a home outright or are never going to be in a position to buy one. How are they faring in this environment? Is Are they also cutting back? Are the people who own a home and have assets sitting pretty and life's good? What's happening there? I think the people that have owned a home uh, are basically also getting interest on their investments, and so they're still fine. Um, the problem is the, there's a third that have mortgage, a third that we're just talking about, and a third that rent, and they're finding it very difficult. And so all our sort of research in terms of how people are going are saying that anyone under 30 is probably feeling it even more than those people in the 30s to 40s who are essentially in the mortgage belt. So two-thirds of the economy are doing it really tough. And some of the stories you hear about uh, what's happening for you know people that go to the Salvation Army and you know, all that sort of stuff is really terrible. And so there's a lot of stress at the top, at basically the middle end and the bottom end. The top end is still going overseas, but they might not be spending as much overseas as what they used to be. So I, I think, you know, people can say, oh, well, it's only the mortgage belt. It's not only the mortgage belt. It's also the the young, those who are renting. There's a shortage of housing and rents are going up a lot. And so that's putting a big squeeze on them as well. Yeah, that side of things is really tough and I'm um, close to some people who work in the services for people with, you know, in quite mm. severe distress area and yeah. financial counsellors and so on and I know that they're absolutely inundated at the moment. Housing affordability, let's talk about the people who may be able to buy a home at some point but they've been completely priced out, particularly during COVID when they started with $500,000 as their total limit, thought they were in with a shot. And then by the end of COVID, we're like, well, yeah. we're never going to be able to buy. This is the worst thing that ever happened. And every every week when they went back to an auction, you know, things had gone up $20,000. Yeah. What's changing with affordability? There was a little pullback post-COVID in house prices. They've stabilised. You're saying they're stronger now. Rates are higher. Is anything getting better or is it still really bleak? I think it's very bleak. Um, however. What we're also saying is by the middle of next year, they'll be cutting rates. So, you know, we think they might get up to 4.6%. But by the middle of next year, I think they'll be cutting and probably get down to about 3%. So that would be basically um, a big relief for a lot of people. Um, hopefully, unemployment doesn't go too high. But if I'm, you know, rather than just talking about the near term, which I think is an issue, um, in the medium term, let's assume we're in 2025. Rates are now 
around about 3%. The economy is probably back to 2% growth. Inflation's in the target and unemployment's still around five or a bit below. So that's a really good outcome. And so I'm quite optimistic about Australia in the medium term. I'm not optimistic about Australia in the next 12 to 18 months. That's a, sort of an issue. that, But that's essentially what the Reserve Bank wants. It wants to take money away from people to slow down the economy, to get um, inflation down, to make businesses less reluctant or more reluctant to just part, try and pass things on. Because in a tough world, they might lose market share. And so for us, uh, this is exactly what the Reserve Bank wants, uh, but it's still nasty in the sense of going through it. Yeah, it doesn't feel pretty while it's happening. And I think for a lot of us, if we sailed through COVID, we didn't have a business or we didn't work for a business that was heavily exposed to COVID, probably haven't had an experience like this in a very long time. Yeah, the rate of increase in um, the cash rate is really, really rapid. Um, And a lot of people have never seen this before. So if you're in your 30s, you didn't see 18% interest rates, et cetera. But a lot of, if you go back in the 80s, everyone says, oh, rates got to 18%. Yeah, but they started at 13. And, you know, and what we're seeing now is a gone from nothing to four, four and a half. And there's also this sort of big chunk of people who are going to have their fixed rate loans that are going to mature in the back end of this year um, as a majority. And they're going to go from below 2% to 6 um, And so there's a sort of a big issue there in terms of what's actually going to happen as we go forward. Yeah, that leads really nicely into my next question because there have been reports of risks to the banking sector. Mm-hmm. A lot of people listening to this podcast hold bank shares. You would know that yep. almost all of our yeah. customers hold bank shares. Uh, yep. But there's also the issue that if you are a mortgage holder, you do not want to find yourself in distress. It's it's really concerning. No. Banks are obviously very concerned about making sure that their customers don't end up in distress. Do you see risks to the banks, to bank shareholders, to the customer base who are particularly going from fixed to variable, but even those who are already on a variable and maybe just not prepared? Well, banks ultimately are cyclical. Uh, Banks have uh, high levels of capital and liquidity in Australia. Um, And also they're seeing very, very low levels of bad debts. But we all expect bad debts to go up. Um, And there's, you know, if if the economy is basically flatlining and you can get into arguments about is it a recession or not, do you have two quarters of negative growth or not? My sort of definition, if unemployment goes up 1% over a 12-month period, that's a recession. And I think we're going to have a recession, but it's going to be mild. It's not like the 80s when you had unemployment around 11%. I think, you know, you might have unemployment around five. So it's, it's manageable. And I think, you know, basically, as I said before, what we try- what we expect to see is people will desperately hang on to their houses because they figure that is their best long-term asset. Um, and in the past, that's been true. And so they will do anything before they basically default. And in Federal Treasury, and I used to be there, they used to say Australians will starve their kids before they default. And it's still that sort of mentality. So I think uh, it's going to be tough, but ultimately we'll get through this. And in the medium term, I think it's much more optimistic. And if you can survive for 12 to 18 months, I think that's what everyone's going to try and do. 
So one question I've been getting a lot lately, and I'd be interested to know if you get this question too, we might talk to different audiences, is why Australian banks only offer variable or short-term fixed loans. A lot of our investors Mm -hmm. and customers we deal with are very aware that in the US you can get a 30-year fixed rate loan and a lot of people getting 30-year fixed rate loans during COVID for next to nothing. Uh, And so they're not as exposed in the mortgage belt. You you kind of have to sell for that issue. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, basically from a bank's point of view, uh, basically it's better to have more variable and from a central bank's point of view, it's better too because you don't get these really long lags that you get in monetary policy uh, where essentially if you're going to refinance or need to refinance, you will, but it will cost you an arm and a leg uh, if you're refinancing off a 30-year bond. And so the, it means that Australia gets a quicker feed-through of monetary policy and quite often it means also that you don't need to go as high. But from a bank's point of view, it's much more difficult to manage your balance sheet in that sort of environment. Whereas in the cash rate, um, where we have a lot of variables, then it sort of comes through fairly quickly. So I'm sure as a customer, I would love to have a 30-year mortgage, but unfortunately, I don't think it'll ever happen in Australia. Yeah, the comment I made in answer to that question, which I got on stage without notice, <laughs> so it was a terrible time to be trying to think up an answer, was as an investor, you would be pretty thrilled to be yeah. investing in a bank with variable mortgages. And that's why I think we we have far less risk in the Australian banking system. In the US, we've seen banks fall oh, yeah. because of that yeah. massive mismatch between yeah. uh, what they were lending at and what they were borrowing at. Yeah, and, and you know, their, their problem was also that they had – huge amounts of uh, bonds that they were trying to keep to offset that exposure. And then suddenly they started selling them and that caused chaos. Um, And you had a whole range of banks. And we've looked at those various banks to say, well, um, is there any lessons for us? And the answer is, how the hell did they think they were going to survive using that sort of policy um, in terms of these banks? So they were, you know, we would say, you would not be allowed by the regulator, APRA, to get away with the sort of stuff they were doing. So I think it's a little bit more encouraging that we're in a situation where nobody thinks the banks are going to fall over. Because if the banks or a finance company falls over, um, or a financial recession, if you like, those recessions tend to be more like um, U-shaped rather than V-shaped. People get very scared. And so the example in Australia might be, for example, that in the 89-90 recession, Victoria and South Australia had terrible times. New South Wales really didn't have a bad recession at all. And a lot of that had to do with Pyramid, Trico, state banks, et cetera, falling over. So when you get a recession that's associated with financial problems, people tend to literally stick the money under the bed. And so that creates a lot of concern and deeper recessions that last longer. I think uh, for many people who are who are too young to remember those, we have had banking crises in Australia, and oh, even yeah. in living memory. But it just doesn't feel like it if you've been uh, yeah. if you're under the age of fifty. I remember as a child always thinking, wouldn't it be awesome to borrow money to buy a house, and then the bank you borrowed from went under, and you didn't have to yeah. pay it back. <laughs> Seems like such a good idea when I was a kid. Yeah, well, uh, and again, the regulator will step in not because banks are too big to fail, but the impact on the economy is too big is basically the bottom line. And so if you go back to the Great Depression, um, one of the big mistakes of the Great Depression was they said, oh, well, um, they've basically been 
incompetent and we shouldn't be supporting them. And so that's fine, except then the credit system just plugged up and you had a massive recession. And so, you know, at the end of the day, you're much better off to have banks that are stable because even during the GFC, nobody thought any of the big banks were going to fall over. No, and we now have the uh, the $250,000 deposit guarantee yeah. as well. So Australia is a nice place to be an investor in banks and a nice place to be a deposit holder in banks also, which I think for a lot of us, we don't think about it any day, but that's yeah. sort of the point. If you're not thinking about it, it doesn't feel like a real risk and that's a good thing. Yeah, very much. Well, so even, we- if go, even if you go over to Greece and places like that that had big runs during the GFC, caused a lot of grief. Yeah, absolutely. And uh Lovely place to go for a holiday, but not necessarily where you want to do banking. Uh, (laughs) So when we look back then at the residential property sector in Australia, it is for most Australians where they do want to own a home. One thing we haven't discussed, but it's probably worth commenting on, there are actually really big incentives to be a homeowner in Australia, not least because when you reach age, pension age, it's much more concessionally treated to be a homeowner than a non-homeowner. So it's not an immaterial issue. It's not that homes des- necessarily outperform other asset classes, but there are very, very happy incentives for being a homeowner. Mm. So with all of the factors we've talked about, what are your forecasts as best you can make them? Because it's a complex environment we work in. And what do you see as the big risks? Because there are a lot of things to be thinking about. Well, I think the big risks tend to be that sort of, unexpected shocks from the global economy. So we're talking about a global economy this year, growth of about 2.8% and 2.6% the next year, and the long run average is like 3.5%. So this, outside of COVID and GFC, this is the worst global outlook we've had since 2000, which was a major recession that Australia missed. So I, I still worry about what's going to happen globally. Um, China seems to be running out of puff a bit, but um, they're the main problems. Obviously, in the near term, interest rates matter. And, you know, it takes normally 12 months or so before you see the big impacts of monetary policy tightenings to the economy. And I think what we're seeing now is it's actually happening now. Um, There's always the risk that central bank will be silly and over-tighten. I think they're getting close to that now, but hopefully they won't. But central banks globally may over-tighten. And there's a lot of people running around at prison saying, oh, they need to do a lot more in the US, in Europe, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, I think the way you sort of think about the prospect for the economy is gravity matters in the next 12 months. I expect the economy not to grow much at all in the second half of this year and maybe not in the first quarter of next year. But then... Um, provided unemployment's not too high, I think basically what you'll see is an economy that then recovers and is well-placed. So I'm an optimist for 2025 and beyond, but I'm a pessimist a bit in terms of what I'm seeing now. It's nice to focus on that midterm optimism. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, think about, uh, I mean, if nothing else, that is that is a fairly... Uh, important thing to take into consideration. Most of the people who listen to this podcast are investors. And yeah. when you invest, you're not just thinking about the short term. You need to be thinking. Yeah. Well, you know, if I'm talking about 25, as, as we're saying, you know, unemployment's still around 
what we call the natural rate, inflation's back under control and the economy's growing. A lot of people I would think internationally would want to say, right, that Australia didn't have the damage that COVID gave a lot of economies and it's really well placed. So that's a place to invest, to live, to employ. And so I think that that's the positive side. But it doesn't help you in the next 12 months when these interest rate effects come through. Alan, you and your team publish amazing research. As you said, weekly, you're updating your figures and you've got real-time data, which is, mm. I think, something we tend to forget. You know, a lot of us are dealing with data on a regular basis, but it may have been through three or four hands by the time we uh, we get our little hands on it and we may not be as up-to-date as we'd like to be. How do people go and find out more about what you're doing, keep up-to-date with what you're working on? Well, I think the short answer is just go to the NAB website. Um, I think... Uh, maybe we'll put the link um, to the podcast when we join it. But basically, if you go to businessnab.com.au and then hashtag economic commentary, that'll get you there. Yeah, the business research and insights page is amazing and there's so much exceptional content on there. If you're not already subscribing or looking at that, I would strongly recommend it. Alan Oster from NAB, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Jen. Thank you so much for listening. Also, as always, we love hearing from you. We get fantastic feedback. We love getting your questions. We know residential property, even though it's got nothing to do with the share market necessarily, is always one of your favorites. Please just email us at yourwealth@nab.com.au, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth.com at nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.